0: This year is brought to you by TorahWeb.org. i am going to apologize. I hope the connections works well. Our yeshiva has gone to a campsite about an hour away in in very in the really rural area in Adamstown, Maryland, so that we can have a very normal yeshiva environment, but the connections are not always fantastic. I'm hoping that um I've tried my best uh hashem that the connection be Good, and so on. Okay, we're going to be starting Sliches in in a week. Uh, next, Motze Shabbos, or Sunday, is when Shlichus start, And the primary component of Sliches is Yud Those 13 attributes of Hashem, um, Hashem, Kerachim and Bechanim. You know, everyone has it kind of upside down. We tend to think of the slich as we say as the main thing, with Hashem Hashem as some sort of, you know, refrain, interlude, or whatever. Really, the filler, the focal point, is that prayer of Hashem Hashem, Kel de Dechanun. We mentioned thirteen attributes, thirteen names of Hashem, and um, and we ask for mercy because of. The merit of those names, and so to speak, and so on. So we really need to ask ourselves what is unique about those words. And there's a minhag, there's a custom in a uh, in, in the torah brings a custom that on Yom Kippur we should try to say thirteen times Hashem or Yom Kippur because you know thirteen times thirteen. A very that's that's a special Um Those thirteen descriptions of the mercy of Akkardesh Baruch Hu is a special prayer. It has its origin at the darkest moment of Jewish history, and that is at the sin of the eagle, when Claudius Yisrael sinned at the eagle and Hashem said they deserve to be destroyed. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't come up with any type of prayer that would save them. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself um, appeared and presented the appropriate prayer. And I'll read the Gemara inside Rosh Hashanah. It's base and um And I'll we'll, we'll try to see some elements of how the Gemara presents it. Omer Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, If the Pasek in the Torah had not been so explicit in saying, V'yavu Hashem alpano va'yikra," Hashem sort of passed by, passed across the face of Moshe and called out. Had the pasuk not been so explicit, we could not say it ourselves. In other words, it's a very daring way in which um the Pasak presents it. And the Gemara interprets it Melamit a who wrapped himself up like a chazin, the Herolamosheitpila, and he showed Moshe the appropriate trilla, the appropriate prayer to say. Um, Amalo, he told him, whenever Khal Yisrael sins, they should they should perform the following Seder, in other words, meaning they should say the following prayer forgive them, Hashem Hashem, And and that's it. Right. So, the Gemara gives us an extraordinarily blunt um, to the point of almost borderline of what we could say that God showed Moshe Rabbeinu the, the Seder at filler, and he said, whenever they do this, this is, they, 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 they will be forgiven. So, first of all, what's unique about saying these words I mean, some people tend to have sort of, let's call it a magical slash mystic bend, where if you say certain special magical words, they have an effect. We, we, we shy away from that. Hashem is once goodness, uh, and, and so normal prayer is, is, is very well understood. A person humbles himself, a person asks for forgiveness, a person promises to do well. Those, are those are all things that make a lot of sense, and it's what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants us to do what's right and what's good, and you know, in general, that's that's what happens. But by saying these magical thirteen words, and that presto, it's the abracadabra of sorts. It's repulsive. I, I mean, it, 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 there's something magical about these words. It, it's the meaning. It's 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 something about it. That, that, is, does it, does it require something from us or just kind of saying this jingle? And I could just who tunes into a jingle. Those are things that are repulsive and, um, it must mean something much more than that. In the Gemara itself, if you read it over, there's something that, that sort of strikes you as being odd. He's teaching them certain, a certain formula to say, Hashem, Hashem, Bechanum. So the right way to describe that would be, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu. who Baruch Hu informed Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, that's something which um, would be the right way to describe it, because we're being told what, what to, to do. What does it mean? He showed him. What was it to show? And even describes it as as wrapped in a palace But Haralol Moshe said to He showed him to say the tefillah. And and then he says, whenever they do the seder, I'll be mohel. Well, he should have said he he told them the words. He revealed to him the words to say. The, the Gemara seems to say that something more profound than those words had to be. Um, it had to be transmitted to Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did he need to show him something? What's the showing all about? That's, that's a point. So our main point, our main issue is, um, something which is, um, to try to understand what in the world, um, it, 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 it'll do 13 special words and um, do for a person or for the nation. That, that, that regular tshuva would not do and um, why does this have to be shown another point of, of um, to ponder is these, these 13 middos, these 13 attributes and names of God are called in various kabbalahs middos of vitur Fiter means to forego something. You know, it's 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 like we use it in when 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 somebody has a right for something and he's mevater. Um, means that 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 you know when you tell kids when two kids are arguing over something, and even in our parents' uh, salam wisdom, we can't decide who's right. We'll tell one child be mevater to the other one, like even though you have a right for it, but forego the right. That's what it's referred to. The problem is, this runs counter to a Gemara and Baba Kama. It says, if anyone says, akadesh Baruch Hu, is a veteran, meaning akadesh Baruch Hu, kind of is easy. Like, you know, if you chum up enough, Akadosh Baruch Hu will be, okay, you know, okay, well, well, well I'll be vater. It says a very sharp expression, "Yevatre Chayoyin." Then, 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 Akadosh Baruch Hu will forego his life. In other words, saying that Akadosh Baruch Hu is a veteran, he's somebody who kind of foregoes without any rhyme or reason, just kind of you know shrugs it off. That's an aberration. That's 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 distorting. Akadosh Baruch Hu is mishpat. Akadosh Baruch Hu wants justice and righteousness, and and not carrying out Mishpat is something which is it, it distorts reality. It it creates situations that are um wrong. So if saying that a Hu is a veteran is something which is wrong, theologically wrong, then then how come on your kippah we sum up these middles that are referred to as Vitor? even without referring it, but that seems to be what we're doing. What we seem to be doing is kind of asking for something that's undeserved. One more, I'd like to introduce one more Gemara, and then I'll try to explain the points over here. This is a Gemara in Tynus. It's on Chofheya Medbeis, and it goes as follows. Tonurah Banan. My suburban yesh goza shloshe taynes ala tzevu l'dor chami. And shuv mezerov yesh shov tavav esrev ba brochos belo nena. Rebel yesh um i i i He was praying for for the community um for rain and he said 24 blessings that you say um in on on a public tinness. We don't do it today, but this was done in those days. Velo Nana and no rain came. Yur Rabakiva Akrav, Rabakiva was the next uh d The Ami says Avina Malkanel Malkalata, Avina Rechem Hemalinu. He said two Malkenus, and this by the way is the source for the Avina Malkana formulation that we have. But Yoder Gashamim, and lo and behold, rain came. So the Rabbanim were whispering that, you know, obviously, Rabbi Akiva is a much, much bigger tzaddik than Rabbi Yezer. said a whole 24 brachas and nothing came. Rabbi Kiva said two stands of and presto, right away it was. Yotzis Abbaskel a came out and said, a voice came out from heaven. It's not that Rebbe Akiva is greater, it's just that Rebbe Akiva is Ma'avir amidosov. midolsov Ma'av al is a similar expression. It means someone who foregoes something that's his. Um, you know, it's like what we called, what we explained before about Vitor. It's you have a right for it, you with in your rights, but you, you know, you, you forego, and and therefore he was answered and him not. So the question is, well, let's try to understand it. If they were both equal tzaddikim, let's 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 use a scoring system. Each one had a hundred points, and Rabbi Kiva was also marvel midosov, which is some wonderful midah, so then he's a big side he is a big atzadik, Rebbe Yaza, because he's got, he learned as much as him, and he davened as much as him, he has much stucker, and he also had this. So, obviously, when you factor everything in, they were equal even after you factor it in. So, Rebbe Yaza, I don't know, maybe learned more hours, or gave more stucca, um, he, he, he helped more people, um, and, and Rabbi Akiva didn't help as many people, but he was I- I- Mavr al So in the bottom line, they both have 100 points. So the question is, so why was Rabbi Akiva answered rather than um At the end of the day, uh, it, they're, they're the same righteous people. It's it's just a different variety of righteousness. That question was asked by Rabbi Sol Salanta, the founder of the Muslim movement, and uh, and and the, his point that he makes is going to form the understanding we have of this. Let's first talk about. I'm going to talk more in general, and then we'll reference his answer at this particular Gemara. But I want to try now to explain what is this idea of being Vatami Dolsov. a vata baruch who made the world a world that is run on truth, justice, and that is the bedrock of the world. Hatsur tome pa'oloi called drach of mishpat, akadosh baruch, whose ways are all mishpat. Whereas the Christians painted us as mean people, the, the the Lord of the the God of the Old Testament is is is, is harsh, very sits in judgment. The 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 um the, their um, deity, we'll call him, is just pure love and and kindness and for everybody. Um, none of this justice and harshness and so on. Well, the answer is that is a destructive world. And uh, besides the fact that, that we've, we've, we've had our fair share of, of, of unconditional love from the Christians the last 2,000 years, and if that's unconditional love, I can't imagine what, what hate would be. But, um, Tachlis, um, unconditional love means destruction of truth, righteousness, and so on. If someone who worked hard at something and we're caught at being good, stands in the same place as somebody who was a ruthless murderer, then you've destroyed the world. And that is not positive. It's very destructive. It's, it, not having a, a right and wrong and truth and falsehood, is, is it, it destroys the world, it destroys people, and it means that evil triumphs. Under the guise of unconditional love. That's bad. Akadosh Baruch who made truth be the very cornerstone of the world. We affirm it on Rosh Hashanah, and that is the bedrock. Akadosh Baruch who has a Mida. Akkadish has an attribute. Because Akkadish is infinite, and and not bound by anything, he can override it. And let's understand, it's, let's give an example, and I'm going to use kind of a science fiction example, where you have, you know, or I, I guess not even science fiction, kind of, there, there was a, a, a famous book when I, was, when I was growing up called The Flatlands, I think by Abbott, I, if I remember correctly. It was about a world that was two-dimensional, and it described how that world existed. And then a three-dimensional being came and they couldn't figure out how'd you get in? Everything is, is, is closed off. And he said, I just walked over it. So what does the word over mean? There's no over, there's either side, this side or that side. And, and he sort of tries to flesh out, it's a very, it's fascinating, cute book, to sort of give you a sense of what a different dimension means. So when you're two-dimensional, and then you, you a third dimension comes in. For the person trapped in the two-dimensional world, it's coming from nowhere. For the person who has the three dimensions, he understands the the the, the, the picture two-dimensional and understands where coming in from on top, sort of you know, are, are supersedes and so on. Um, and and all these things, these you know, all sorts of science fiction, this, this tunneling for dimensions, whatever it is. But but there's a sort of a picture. Of having a fixed world and then a possibility of something else a who created a world of justice and truth and our being held accountable for what we do is means that that makes us citizens of that world and that's the best for us. if a person was not held accountable and he was given he was, he, he was given stuff that wasn't deserved. He wouldn't appreciate it. He wouldn't like it. And, and, and he would not enjoy it. And we would, there, there is no good when it's unearned. And that's why the great good is when it's earned. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not bound by it. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu can also override. And the word override is going to be a very key word in what we're trying to explain. It's not on justice. It's override justice. And that's why, so let's go back to the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, which speaks about Akadosh Baruch showing showing Moshe Rabbeinu um, this, this process. The Ben Chai, he was a great Iraqi scholar and saint. He lived at the turn of, died at the turn of last century. He was a uh, uh, I, he wrote a, a Benishchai, which is the P'sak Sefer for many communities, and he, he was an extraordinarily a prolific writer. He wrote a Piyush on the Agadot of Gemara, amongst many things. He wrote many, many things, and he explains the Gemara as follows: What does it mean? He showed Moshe Rabbeinu. Why didn't you just tell him? So he says the following insight. He says, let's let's take an example. If I tell you that so and so drove drove down the road um, from point a to point b as soon as I tell it to you, you know exactly what i mean it's it's an idea that's relevant it's it's part of your world people drive all the time and if I tell you you drove from new york to washington where we live and and you know down the the, the turnpike et cetera et cetera that's that's communicating information, and that's fine. If I tell you that so-and-so hovered in the air, so-and-so gravitated, so-and-so it, it did it, it floated in the air, I will tell you I don't know what you're talking about. And the only way I'll possibly um, at least be able to, to come to grips with it is if you show me. Because it's an idea that I have no, it's, it's nowhere within my mind is the idea of somebody levitating. And, and it, it, it's, it doesn't exist. So it's, you can't tell me about somebody levitating because that's meaningless to me. People don't levitate. If I see it, maybe. But, but, but I need, showing means something that you have no record of it. It's not part of what you understand. So just like in physics today, in contemporary physics, we have ideas that, quote, unquote, don't make sense, but they, but they show up. The, 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 um, the results prove that such and such happened. So I say to myself, it doesn't make any sense, but it's there. I, I, but I need to see it. When I see... Um, I, 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 I um, say to myself, if so and so is true, this is supposed to be resolved. And I see the result, even if it makes no sense to me, it, as they say in Hebrew, kachazer. So showing Moshe Rabbeinu means he was introducing an idea to Moshe Rabbeinu that really was not part of human understanding, even Moshe Rabbeinu's. We live and we have to live with a sense of absolute justice, and right and wrong, consequences, and reward. That's the world that's Amistas. There is another dimension that belongs to our Kodesh Baruch Hu, and that world is the world of Ma'ave The word mava means to jump over. If you have that imagery of, the, of that three-dimensional being jumping over this the, the, the circle, that's also means it's not straightforward. It's something that's able to override it. It's not something that's part of our understanding. If the world is absolute truth and justice, how does it work? But there is such an element, um, and that's why it's called keseder hazeh. He didn't tell him which words to use. He told him keseder hazeh means there's a new structure and it's a structure you're not familiar with, not only do you happen not to know, but it's something that you can't be familiar with, I will introduce it in your consciousness. You'll be able to understand there's another dimension. So the concept of or gilomidos is another dimension, something that is extraneous to our sense of a universe the totality of the universe we know is truth and consequence and reward and 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 justice and yet there is a karishvara who does not is not bound by this finite thing but there's something beyond it that's that's first thing to explain this concept of yudgimumes being something which is vitor, and Mavel Midosov, and we'll, we'll try to explain how it works in conjunction with us. So now we've understood that this is something which is an incredibly unusual, out-of-the-world um, type of um, a- a- act by Akadosh Baruch Hu. But now the question is, as far as we go, isn't that defeating the point? So okay, so so Baruch Hu, how Baruch Hu does things that are beyond that's Akadish Baruch. Hu. But then we're back to square one again. So we've just basically um destroyed our incentive to work, our sense of accomplishment, and so on. How do we deal with it? So, and this is very important, because when we say these Yudh we're, we're not just saying words. We have to live them. We have to be able to somehow um, be in tune with it. How are we in tune with it? So step one is, we need to understand it as we need to understand the process of justice, with its full, um, with its full emiss, we need to really understand that we've reached the limit and there is no hope, and then to reach out for hope beyond it. Let's give an example, a simple example. Many times you have a child or a student in school that asks for a second chance. And a part of you wants to give a second chance. But we're very sensitive. Is the child really sincere and understanding that he's reached the limit, and that he really there is no there is no chance in the in in the limits he reached? And then the second chance we give him is generally a new chance, or is he sort of knows already and he's not sincere? But he knows that if he pushes the right buttons, the word second chance," "new ch- new beginning," etc., does its you know it, it accomplishes its mission. We're very sensitive to it, and if we feel the child is genuinely broken and re- and and contrite and really understands what he's done wrong and so on, so then we will um we'll, we'll be very open to give a second chance um and and we'll be fine with it. If we detect a kind of manipulation, a kind of you know, not really, then then we we'd be inclined not to do it, and that's really that's right the right thing, you 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 know it's it's two separate things. We need to understand the fullness of the consequence of what we've done and not done, and if you haven't done the work, we said clearly. Three times over, that if you don't do X, Y, Z, then you can't go on the trip, you can't do this, you can't do that. And if the child realizes that, then we can um, can, uh, give him a second chance. So the first point that's important, the first prerequisite for being able to tune into the Yudgimomidos, is to understand that we've reached an end, to understand that in truth we don't deserve more, and we're asking for something at the point where we know it's the end. Then it's genuine. Then we're tapping into not distorting the truth, but we want to go past it. We want to tap into Kadesh Baruch Hu's infinite mercy. So genuinely being contrite, that a person sits and thinks about the things that he's done wrong and the things that the opportunities he's missed and that he's basically it doesn't deserve X, but he's appealing to Baruch Hu's extraordinary mida of infinite mercy, that's one prerequisite. It's probably the reason why Rosh Hashanah was set up before Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. And in the Sfarim, and the Kabbalah Sfarim, it's seen as a harsher day than Yom Kippur. There's not much Tshuva spoken about in Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we stand in judgment, in stark, unadorned judgment, and we're judged. Yom Kippur, which is a day that that deals with Yugimel Middles, were given on, on, on Yom Kippur. And like I said before, the Torah says to say it third time and so on. That's already a day once we realize if we tap into Rosh Hashanah appropriately and we realize that we, we, we're not trying to um, negate the judgment. We're not trying to weasel our way out of it, but what we're appealing to Kaddish to override it. Then it, it, we ha- then we can appeal. We have a right to appeal to it and be heard. So the first prerequisite is to recognize truth as truth, to recognize our shortcomings and, and, and how undeservant we are in whatever area we're not deserving, and then to understand the appeal to Yudh as being an appeal to supersede something. That's the first prerequisite. The second one is Akadish Baruch Hu relates to us in ways that we can connect. And therefore, if somewhere in our neshama, we have an a, a, a ability to override our sense of what, what's rightfully mine. If we have a spark of that type of ability to rise above ourselves, then it resonates with our Baruch Let's go back to the Gemara in Tainis, which we said, which was Rabbi Yeza, the first Rabbi Kiva. and Rabbi Saul Salanta gives this answer. He says it a little bit differently, but more or less the idea is, 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 an, is, is what he says. Both of them were equally righteous so that if we had to deal with what they deserve, they certainly would not have preferred one over the other. Rebbe and Rabbi Kiva were both perfectly matched. Let's give a bit of a muscle. Imagine I have two vehicles that are priced exactly the same. So one vehicle might be quicker, the other vehicle might be more sparing in gas, this vehicle might be stronger, this vehicle might be nicer. When you add up everything, the price is the same, they're worth the same. But if I need it for a specific job, then I'm going to choose the vehicle that I need for a specific job and if I need to go faster, I'll pick the faster one. If, if, if this was a case in, Ty, in the Gemara and Thinus, where we could have given them, based on their merit, they would be equal. It wasn't like that. The cloud did not merit getting the rain or whatever it was that they needed. But since Rebekah had within himself the ability of being Marvel Midosov. So it's true that Rebbe had other worthy, worthy character points that, that, that compensated for it. But in this specific area, what was called for was somebody who could rise above his sense of right and wrong. And this was something Rabbi Kiva excelled at. So to tap into this mida specifically, one had to do this. Um, it, one needed a person who had it within him so that we could tap into it. I, I want to tell over a story that my Rabbi Reb Khaim Shmulevitz would say, would say in his Musashmuz. It's become quite famous, quoted, and sometimes a little more accurately, but I'll tell it over the way I heard it. And the way you would say it, during the Six-Day War, I I came to Israel in 1970, I was not there in the Six-Day War, but during the Six-Day War, the Mir Yeshiva was situated on the border with Jordan. It was about one block away from no man's land. No man's land was a small, novice Street, those who know, and basically Israel is one small street over. During the war, the, the, the Mir Yeshiva was huddled in the dining room, which was underground and served as a miklat, as a shelter, there was bombardment. It was it was very rough, and at one point, the Mir Yeshiva building took a direct hit. You can still see where it's patched up, and the building shook. Uh, obviously, it took a direct shell, and the people in the in the dining room thought it's all over. And everybody began davening and screaming. And Rabbi Shulevitz would say over the following observation that he had, very emotional. Um, with, together with the yeshiva in that, in, in, in that shelter was a woman who lived next door to the yeshiva. The, old, the, area, the neighborhood in which the yeshiva is is an old neighborhood. Most of the houses near there did not have their own shelters. There were these public shelters. And the yeshiva was was close enough to being a shelter. was kind of underground. So a few of the neighbors huddled there. Next door to the yeshiva, there was a woman whose husband had walked out on her 20 years before, never saying goodbye, never sending a divorce. The classic aguna. She was poor. She lived with an elderly, sick father. I still remember them vaguely. They were still around when I came. And her life was as miserable, as wretched as you could possibly imagine. When the yeshiva took a direct hit, and everybody was screaming, Shema Yisrael and whatever, she screamed out and she said, Reba Shalom. my husband did the worst things to me. And 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 I have every right to be angry at him for an eternity. I rise above it, and you too rise above your anger from Kal Yisrael. And Chaim would say it was hurt filler that saved us. Not the learning of the Bach was precious, the davening was precious, but those that woman's words were the ones that saved us. He would say it with tremendous. This an emotion of went a very lot of very deep emotion. The point was that we're, we're not talking about merit. We're talking about a certain ability to rise above oneself. A person exists, he has rights, he has possessions and 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 I can and, and I have a right. For, for certain things, and it's sometimes it's unclear, and we have to work it out in a, in a in a, in a and so on and so forth. And I don't I'm not obligated at all to let go of things that are rightfully mine. Um, as a matter of fact, on a night, there's a special tefillah that Chayoda made. It's called Tefillah Zaka, which we say before called Nidre, which many people say called Nidre. And we say, you forgive everyone except for someone that I intend to go to court with him and take what's fairly mine. There's nothing wrong with that. A person has the right to have what's his. But a person has in himself an extraordinary meter that is somewhere from that divine attribute of being able to go past sense of self-possession and mine. Not that it's wrong. I exist. I have a right to exist. I have possessions, I have a right that to be mine. I have rights, and, and, and that's all fine. It's not because the other person is right that I let go. It's because I can rise above myself. It's something that's inexplicable in terms of self, in terms of reason, in terms of many things. But it's part of the divine spark we have. So Reb Chaim's understanding of the situation was, because she revealed a, 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 a level of al Midosov, that was incredible. This was a person who had destroyed her entire life and, 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 and everything he did was totally unjustified, and yet she could rise above it and let go. That allows a person to tap into the extraordinary attribute of al Midosov. So let's put it together and sum up. Yom Kippur is a day where not only did Akash Baruch give us the Torah and forgave us, but Yom Kippur is a day when HaKadosh Baruch revealed to us another aspect of his infinite being, and that is Gimel Midas. It's an extraordinary way of dealing with humanity that goes beyond, um, truth and justice and right and everything like it. It's, it's, it's the incredible, um, it's the incredible interaction that allows us to survive. But it's, it, there are two extraordinarily important prerequisites that without it, it won't work and it can't work. If a person sees God as being quote-unquote soft, if he sees right and wrong to be flexible, malleable, then no, he'll never get extra good because that extra good is destructive. The kid who's a brat and knows how to manipulate his parents or his teachers, the more you give in, the, the worst, you're feeding the worst part of himself. So there's no way we can face HaKadosh Baruch Hu and tap into these Yud unless we concurrently understand how powerful and strong truth is. And we call a spade a spade, and we know that we're wrong, and we know we haven't measured up, and we know we've come short. And we are undeserving. If we feel that, to its full extent, then it's possible for our Kaddish Baruch Hu to reveal that beyond Mida of Mavomidosov. Midosov. And the second prerequisite for being able to tap into it is that we have that that we have in ourselves a chord that resonates with it. That on occasion, we have and we're capable of saying, this is not right, but as a person, I have superhuman capacity. Hashem gave me an neshama that allows me to rise above myself. And even if the other person is not deserving, as long as they're mine, but if need be, and if it's right, I can be madri So, remember, it doesn't mean I I distort what's right and what's wrong, but it means I rise above myself. It's not something that makes sense. It's not something that we can explain within human behavior. We can explain it because we have that spark in us. So, saying these words of Yudh Gimel Midas is not simply a magical formula. of saying the right words to get it going there's no such thing that, that that's that's nonsense there are no magical words it's not a game we're talking about tapping into the extraordinary um Hu that is beyond reason beyond and if we do what we need to do we understand the fullness of right and wrong and we find in ourselves um, that that sense of extra then we can then this 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 extraordinary Sederat filler Karishbahu showed Moshe this extraordinary um way of approaching Hashem that he showed Moshe um something we could never have thought of ourselves. That's when we can tap into it. And and hopefully this year we we've we've had a rough year. We've had, we still don't even know where it's going. We don't even know the implications. We we can just we can sit and be very apprehensive about its implications in many ways, in terms of health going forward, what's happening in terms of economy. um, You know, the economy is taking blows. How will that play out in terms of social fabric? In terms of many things, um, it's, 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 it's quite a, a, a fearful time because who knows? And for whatever reason, the world has been called to task. Um, without, uh, uh, we don't have to be to say why, but one thing we're sure of is somebody calls the world to task, and we've been called to task. Um, understanding that we need to be better is one. Understanding that even if things look kind of quite gray and grim, it doesn't seem as if there's going to be any Yeshua, A Baruch Hu's this override procedure, override Seder, override structure. And there's and there's a new Seder, there's a new structure. And Belazar Hashem, we should be able to tap into these youth become extraordinarily better people ourselves, and and, be, and merit that we get this type of extraordinary Yeshua that yudgemeders can bring about.